0: Welcome to the Studio 2501 Conversations About Mental Health and Wellness podcast. Located inside HopeNet in Wichita, Kansas, our goal is to transform lives through coaching and counseling. We'd like to extend a special thank you to Hoydale for sponsoring our show. You're listening to the Seven Mountains of Influence, hosted by Lynn Bright. Each mountain was shaken by the coronavirus pandemic. Each month, we'll take an in-depth look at one of those mountains and how they impact us. This is the mountain of religion and spirituality.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome again to HopeNet's Studio 2501 Conversations About Mental Health and Wellness podcast. We are so glad you're here with us today. And I am your host, Lynn Bright, also known in the house as JLB. Uh, On today's episode, we are continuing our series, The Seven Mountains of Influence. We are talking about the mountain of religion and spirituality. And so our guest that we have selected for today is Pastor Buck DeShazer. And Pastor Buck, thank you so much Mm -hmm. for being in the house and saying yes to us today.
2: Oh, thank you for the invitation. I am so honored to be here.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, It's really nice to have uh, you in the house because um, this past year, um, God spoke to you and gave you permission to actually be on our board. And so HopeNet is blessed to have Mm -hmm. you sharing your gifts and talents and all of that with um, Mm -hmm. people like us. So we really appreciate
2: it. I am honored as well.
1: I and I just want people to know who you are, and mm-hmm. so I'm just going to start out by just like what I do everybody else. just tell us about you. Tell us, who are you? Mm-hmm. What's your story? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, my name, again, is uh, Roosevelt Buck DeShazer. Uh, everybody <laughs> call me Buck. I've been Buck since I was born, really.
1: And you'll have to tell us where that came you have to remember we'll tell to tell that, us where that okay. came
2: from. I will, I will. But, um... Uh, I've been in Wichita now since 1989. I was born and raised in Mississippi, Greenville, Mississippi, and born uh, when they closed down down there. They moved a bunch of us here in Seattle, and uh, I loved. I won the lottery. I guess you'll say I was. <laughs> uh, uh, I landed in Wichita,
1: Wichita, Kansas. Wichita,
2: Kansas, and uh, uh, it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing. Uh, I have three kids that I've raised, and uh, me and my wife Fern, we've been married. Uh, uh, 33 years. Uh, oh,
1: congratulations. Thank
2: you. This December will be 34 and okay. we've been knowing each other. Uh, I was 11 and she was nine when we first met.
1: Are you serious? So uh, both of you in Mississippi?
2: Both of us in Mississippi. We okay. live across the field from one another, if you will. Not
1: That's across a, the fence, but across, across the, the, field. the field. We had to okay.
2: help, yeah, me and my uncle had to, uh, walk across the field to go meet two sisters over there. <laughs> But, uh, uh, she has been my rock and, uh. We have uh, endured, uh, if you will, all the challenges of marriage, and uh, we're still standing and mm. looking forward to whatever tomorrow will bring.
1: Now that, you know what, when you say that, you, you tempt me to say, we're going to do a whole other series on marriage, okay. and we're going to have you and your your blessed one come okay, in and right. hang out with us. So you, you forewarn her and say, Jolene, okay. thinks she's going to have us come and talk about
2: marriage. I'll, I'll let her know. <laughs> So, I don't know, but uh, we got three kids, and they are wonderful. Maisha mm-hmm. uh, uh, is my oldest, and then Roche, and then Roosevelt, the uh, Roosevelt Jr. Okay. I've uh, got five grandkids. Uh, Brooklyn uh, is the oldest, my granddaughter. Then i got four grandboys. Okay. Yep, A.J., Aiden, and uh, Buck the Fourth. Uh, baby Buck, we call baby him. Baby Buck. Baby okay. Buck. And then we have a little tree. And again, uh, they are my heart. They are the reason, to be honest, why I do what I do. Because uh, uh, the life that I grew up in, the life that I lived, had a whole lot of, uh, for lack of a better phrase, drama. Okay. I was raised in Greenville, Mississippi. Uh, my family was a entrepreneur-type family. Uh, we had... Uh, liquor stores and juke joints and so you're dating Lester. yourself when you talking
1: about juke joints okay that's
2: it uh again i was uh, one of the youngest ones on the street on the corner there uh, our club uh, i started hanging the club uh, when i was about 12 years old
1: mm-hmm. and
2: was running it uh with my mom at 12 at, at 12 years old and again i came up on the streets but i also went to school did graduate high school but i started selling marijuana at age 12 and uh uh again I've seen some things uh people shot and killed people with limbs shot off legs mm-hmm. uh all kind of things like that and uh I mean it just really uh it helped me uh you know a lot of people say it but uh i uh, uh I know it to be true. true yeah my past, everything that God allowed me to experience and go through helps me in the ministry he has placed me in today okay I can de- I de- I've dealt with uh gang members I mentored those coming out of prison I am a uh, convicted felon I was charged in Tallahassee Florida with possession with the intent uh served three years probation with a suspended sentence uh but uh none of that uh you know and this is what I love about God okay he did not allow my past to dictate my future. Mm. He allowed my past to be a stepping stool, if you will. Okay. To go into where he would have me to go.
1: I like that. Because
2: I never would have imagined that I would be a preacher because I came up being a gangster. I'm just be real. I had gangsters that raised me, that taught me the streets. Uh, I was, I mean, real hard gamblers, gangsters, pimps, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. And so I experienced that life. And then uh, the other part of my family is from Miami, so... I was raised in Miami That's... about uh, about ten years of my life.
1: That's weird. How in the world you got to Florida?
2: Yeah, and so uh, uh, again, in all the drugs, we sold marijuana, we sold cocaine. I did it on my own. Uh, been in gunfights. I uh, have shot at people and have had them shoot at me.
1: And you're you're still standing. I'm still
2: standing. I'm still standing. And again, I've made a whole bunch of mistakes that I know that was contrary to what uh, God's word says, but again, he he brought me through it. Mm
1: -hmm. He brought me
2: through it, and I believe strongly with all that I am that it's for such a season as this. Uh, When we had the work program down the street, uh, down uh, central, uh, called City Life Work Program,
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I worked with gang members. I had a cafe, and I had- Did
1: you know that's who you were going to be serving?
2: once, see, uh, my partner and I, me and Dale, uh, we started the program really at our church, Tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And we were just dealing with the kids from the church. Okay. And then once we moved down there on Central, and uh, Dale and I went to uh, L.A. and visited Homeboy Industries, okay. which is one of the largest and uh, most effective gang intervention organizations in the world. I mean, people come all over to try to get their model and learn from them to try to take it to their city and their communities.
1: How did you hear about Homeboy?
2: Uh, It's led by a uh, Catholic priest named Father Greg Boyle. Okay. He started it. Dale is the one that heard about it. because Father Boyle came to Wichita and he gave some speeches for the Department of Correction and everything. And so we went down and visited and came and we modeled the City Life Work Program after Homeboy Industries. So Dale has a uh, fence company, and uh, he was using the uh, boys that the Department of Correction uh, was sent called Mark Matheson, who was over the Department right, of Correction. Right. He actually sent us uh, to, uh,
1: to California. To California? Okay. Because
2: him and Pastor Montgomery and Dale sat down, and they said, uh, we need a program like that here. Mm -hmm. And so we went to see what it was all about and everything. And so Dale started off, and I was working at uh, another job doing instrument technician. I was in aviation for almost 28 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was my trade in the Navy. I learned to uh, work on airplane engines in the Navy and just transferred to Boeing, uh, working on uh, overhauling airplanes. And then I went to instrumentation. So I've worked on every part of the airplane. That that was my trade, and, and I loved it.
1: So hold on, hold on, because now everybody, I, I don't know, because I was waiting okay. for, because I you got me all the way to Miami, mm-hmm. and you jumped me to Wichita, okay. and okay. we went to California, okay. Okay. and we're okay. back, and, okay. and, and and so the whole time, the question in my mind was, how in the world did you get from Florida to Wichita? Mm-hmm. And so I'm hearing about the military. I'm hear, hearing about you working in aviation. So, how in the world? What what brought you to our uh, great city?
2: Well, uh, from the navy, from Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. Uh, when I left the navy, I went to Tallahassee and uh, opened up a, a store there with my uncle in Frenchtown, and I got right back into drugs. Right,
1: right back. Right,
2: right after the navy, I got right back into drugs because I'm in Florida i in Tallahassee, I go to Miami, I get a supply, I come back, and I'm right back in it.
1: Okay, what is going through your head during this time? I mean, here, you, if you were in the Navy, you're pretty disciplined.
2: And I mean, I did good. I was meritoriously advanced from boot camp from E1 to E2, meritoriously advanced from E3 to E4. They were ready to advance me to E5. I learned the engine. Uh, again, I was a disciplined sailor. I was uh, uh, again. I was a, four. If you look at my evaluations, I was the four O sailor. Four O is the top of the yes, line. Yes, yes. And so, uh, but it was just something that just kept tugging on me. Uh, when I was growing up, I mean, I was. I was. <laughs> my family. My stepfather was the number one guy, gambler, mm-hmm. drug dealer, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. And my family from Miami. In Miami, we had. Cab companies, liquor stores, grocery stores, all of that. We were entrepreneurs. They made money, but we were also, some of my other cousins was in drugs and everything. So, I mean, money and that kind of money yeah. has always been a part of my family and a part of me. And so it just was a natural it was, progression I mean, from, from age 12 mm-hmm. all the way through high school. I, I sold drugs in high school. I sold drugs, uh, I mean, and when I say drugs at that time, it was only marijuana. And so uh, marijuana. Then running the club, we had three nightclubs. My stepfather did. Plus, I was uh, gambling on the pool table. We was. What did your friends
1: think? Oh, (laughs) they they
2: they were they were. uh, For uh, I talked to some of them now. They were intrigued. They were uh, because you know a lot of them uh, did not live that life. Yeah. But a lot of them uh, were uh, intrigued by it, if you will. And a lot of them. I mean, I'll admit, and uh, we've talked about it. A lot of them. I actually started out them uh, smoking marijuana and later on gave them their first taste of cocaine and You crack created and
1: all, your customer base,
2: okay? All of that, all
1: of that. Isn't it interesting that the entrepreneur spirit, spirit in you, even though that was driven by something that was mm-hmm. destructive, mm-hmm. that there was something
2: in you? Cause, uh, because, I mean, you know, even though I had guys around me, and I mean, you know, we've been in fights, and like I say, I've been in gunfights and all that, I've never been a real violent type person, or uh, I mean, I've always been a kind of person that people would gravitate to and uh, want to talk with, and mm-hmm. they would share their mm-hmm. story with me. May it be stories of pain, or struggle, or family, or all of that. And it even transferred into the Navy, it was the same way. So you
1: know what that's called.
2: Well, It's called uh,
1: charisma.
2: Well, okay. Uh, and, 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 you know, uh, I mean, I've always liked people. Uh, when I worked behind the counter at our club, serving people, I mean, they would come up, and, and they were amazed because somebody would come and say, I need three bottles of champagne, two old Milwaukee's, a Budweiser, and this, that, and another. Yeah. And, and by, by the time I go get it, I already got the price how much they owe for it right there without going to a cash register wow. there, like a lot of them do today. I mean, I will get it when I get there. You owe me 17 something or 25 something or whatever. And that just came to you it's naturally. Just, came, I've, always, I've always liked money. And okay. I like to count. I always like I love to count. I know how to I have learned how to count fast. And uh my stepfather always told me, say, uh, he said, now Buck, if you get Street sense and combine it with book sense, you'll be unstoppable.
1: Mm. And
2: so uh, he made sure that, that, you know, I went to school and, and I did that. I wasn't a straight A student. Uh, again, I'm going to school from the seventh grade on. I would wear suits to school. Uh uh Yes. I, I had 17 inches of hair. Diamond rings, gold. I had my gold when I was twelve years old. Okay. And so, uh, I mean, that was our family. I mean, he had a a, a, a red and white Cadillac, and uh, from thirteen on, I will, I could drive the Cadillac and with other cars, the the truck. We were, he was, and we were the family on that side mm-hmm. of the deal. And again, his heart was good. People would come around to get a loan for him, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, people that needed to help with their rent yeah. and other stuff, and, and he would give it. You know, a lot of times he would charge a quarter on the dollar or something and things like that. <laughs> so, so he
1: was a businessman. And,
2: and always helped me. Yeah. Plus we was a hunter. He had dogs and all that. But to go I, from
1: we, we almost need to like just sit back I'm in sorry. a movie theater. I'm sorry. Okay, we need to <laughs> <laughs> and, and,
2: and 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 you know what I told this story uh to our board or uh, some of it when we had our little board retreat from HopeNet.
1: Yes and I
2: shared some of my story and uh, I actually shared it in depth with uh Victor Hostrom from kpts yeah and there's a video out there uh, on it and stuff like that too I'd and, love to see that and see what I tell people is that we can't be ashamed of our story because and this is my word this is my phrase that I tell to my colleagues, that they just heard it this past Sunday your story is his story right now and that's a play on words, but I'm using both uh, 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 both words. It's history, but it's also his story. Mm-hmm. It's God's story. Yeah, cause God was. I never dreamed I would be a preacher. I wanted to be a gangster, a dope dealer. For the rest of your life. That was my goal. That was in my, if you will, my DNA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got cousins that have been killed. That are, that that were in it. Uh, I got cousins right now that for, uh, again, lack of a better phrase, have retired from it, if you will, Mm. because they just... There's a
1: retirement plan.
2: Well, there is and there isn't. And uh, what causes us to retire, and I guess mine started when I got arrested, but when you get arrested and you face some real time, Mm -hmm. that causes you to think. To stop, slow down. And think, okay, okay, it's just what I really want to do. Because the reason I joined the Navy is because my grandmother and great grandmother, and I had some uh, aunties and others, they were praying hard for me because they knew the life I was living.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Again, 13, 14, 15 years old, I'm up there on the corner till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm around real gangsters and I'm seeing real stuff going on. And I'm living that life. Uh, I, I'm carrying a gun myself at 14, yeah, 14 15. At 14 years old? See. To
1: school? Uh,
2: yeah. uh, well, well I, I didn't go to school with it, but uh, uh, it would be at home or uh, when I leave school, I stop by the, uh, the club and, uh, you know, there, and just say there's always guns at the club for us and stuff okay. like that. So, but... Um,
1: this is a real operation. I mean...
2: We <laughs> sold, uh, we would transport, my family from Miami would transport Uh, bales of marijuana uh, and uh, kilos of cocaine. uh, Once, and uh, I'm jumping ahead, I'm trying to get from Florida to uh, (laughs) Mississippi, but uh, uh, during my time, the one person in the, really the last shootout that I had was at my stepfather. Because he was very abusive to my mother. Mm -hmm. And when I turned 17, before I went into the Navy, I vowed that nobody else would ever put their hands on my mother again. My mother okay. is very light-skinned. shes I mean, she looks like a white woman, if you will. Wow. And when you see her with a black eye or a bruised uh, face, it's really evident. It, it just broke my heart Yeah. because my real daddy was abusive to my mother, and we left him when I was three years old and left Mississippi and went to Miami. And I had a, a sister that was 18 months old that died because of the trip from Miami from Mississippi to Miami from the cold because they were doing the winter time and it's warm down there. She contracted pneumonia mm. and uh, got a shot and whatever, but uh, she died.
1: I'm sorry. And
2: then my next uh, father, stepfather, uh, my uh, uh, he was abusive to my mother, and so we left Miami and went back to Mississippi running from him. Okay. So now my mother has a, a new guy, and now this guy, and he's my brother's uh dad, and the one in Miami was my sister's is my sister's dad. I've lost one sister, and I got one sister and one brother left mm-hmm. okay, but all three fathers were very abusive to my mother, and again, I just made that vow and so before I went to the Navy, uh I got my mom a new car, and uh me and him had already fell out because. Uh, i'm 17 I don't graduated high school and now i'm ready to get on my own i'm no i don't, don't no longer want to be yeah. under him yes and so i'm connecting with my family in Miami and I'm getting my product from them and he did not like it and so uh when we was going to get the uh, new car and it was from insurance money from another car that had been totaled out he wanted to get that money to buy some more product because he didn't have it okay But I told Mama we weren't going to do it. I said, we're going to get you a car. she didn't have a car. Her car was stolen. Mm -hmm. I said, we're going to get you a car. She said, well, but how am I going to pay for it? And he's not going to like it and all of this. I said, Mama, I'm going to the Navy. And it shocked her. I said, but I'm going to send you. I've already talked to the recruiters and all. I can send you an allotment. I'm going to pay for this car for you. This is going to be your car. And we went out and got her a brand new 1982 (laughs) Buick, La Sabre, mint La Sabre. green. Oh, yeah, man. it was clean. Too. Mint green. And so uh, she was scared. I dropped her off at the house. She was scared because she knew it was going to be some trouble. But I was at the point that, okay, uh, I'm not running from him. Because mm-hmm. he made a statement that I was going to always be a little boy under him. So I went straight to the club. Oh, okay. And I parked across the street under the light. And mm-hmm. it was pretty. Mm -hmm. And I walked in the club and he was standing out there on the corner and he asked me who car was it. I told him it was me and my mama's. I walked in the club. I walked to the back. I checked on something and I came back. By the time I came back, I looked for him. He was gone. And uh, uh, by the time I made it to the house, uh, he had pulled off. I saw his lights as I was pulling up, going down the corner. And when I walked in, my mama, uh, my brother and sister were crying. My sister told me that uh, Mom and him had got into it, and Mom grabbed a gun and she shot one time, and he ran out the house. And uh, they were both crying, all of them were crying. Mm. And by this time, mm. he come knocking on the door again. And I asked him who, you know, what did he want? Yes. And he said that we had did him wrong. And when he said that, that just something just clicked in me. Because we had already had some words and some issues, and then to see everything that he had ever done to my mom. And I mean, I just... It came oh, rushing on And so okay. I just started shooting out the door. I shot three times out the door. And then uh, I heard the uh, screen door close, and I bust out of Because we had a little square window mm-hmm, pane. Mm-hmm. I bust out a window, uh, uh, and I saw him. And I did all I could to kill him. I, I unloaded, and uh, uh, he was, you know, running around. But I unloaded, and... Uh, he got to his truck, and I dropped down to reload, and he pulled off. But uh, uh, I wanted to kill him. I had it in my mind to kill him because, uh, again, of the way he had always treated my mom. Mm. And so uh, that's when I joined the Navy to uh, get away from that because I knew if I would stayed there, I was okay. going to end up either in jail or dead. And my grandmother and great-grandparents and all day were all praying for me to get out of their life. So I joined the Navy and did good, mm-hmm. but it was still in me. And I still had that desire to prove to him and to myself that I can do my own thing.
1: You know, this is interesting. I'm th- sitting here and saying, Pastor Buck, you're... You're the people that get that gets to come into this building, and we hear mm, stories mm, like yours. Mm, and mm. we're amazed that people are still standing. And so something, beautiful. like, even I just love that you said there were people praying for you, and something got a hold of you to change you. I mean, it did. I, I would not be talking to you if something hadn't happened.
2: If, if, and this is what I say, because from... Tallahassee, after getting arrested mm-hmm. with possession. My auntie was working for Boeing in Mississippi. And she knew my career in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And she said, Boeing can use you. So she typed up, or oh, I was on the phone, and I told her all the things I did in the Navy. Okay. She typed up a resume and she turned it in and walked it through the different people. And they said, yes, bring him down. Mm-hmm. So I left Tallahassee with a charge on me. I had not gone to court yet. But I went to uh, Mississippi and uh, interviewed with Bowen and told them they put me to work that next day. That next day. That next okay. day. They said, We need Impressive you. Impressive resume here. They said, We need you. And I, I said, I, I told them. And this is what I tell the guys that I mentor and even the gang members and all. You can't be ashamed of your past and you got to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. I told Bowen that I still got to go back to Florida for a court case. Drugs and all of this. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And
2: they said, okay. So this was in January when I hired on with Bowen. My court case came up in July. Okay, of the same year. The same year. I went back and I faced a judge and uh, he asked me what what was I doing. I told him I'm, I'm in Mississippi now working for Boeing. Uh Again, I've left that life alone. I'm doing this, that, and the other. And so that's when he suspended my jail sentence and gave me three years probation okay. and told me he didn't ever want to hear my name or see my face <laughs> again. Again, And I said, sir, you won't. And I went back to Mississippi and I worked. And, I mean, it was like uh, second nature, if you will. I got back on those airplanes. I've loved airplanes. I always loved them. Okay. And so now I'm working for Boeing. I'm making a legitimate living. But there was still something missing. I could still see... Uh, my mom and know what she went through with those three men, mm-hmm. and what me and my brother and sister went through without having a real father in the house. Like all of my high school friends, yeah. had that you, know, you two parent house, yeah, that two parent household yeah. that mother and father came to all the uh, school activities and all that stuff. And so I made a uh, another vow to myself that I was going to be the kind of husband that my mother never had. Mm. the kind of father that I never had. And so this one girl that I had known and we had uh, uh, became familiar with, if you will, from age, she was nine and I was 11. Across the field. Across the field, we sat on the same owner's bench. We got baptized in the same little creek and everything. Mm -hmm. And our our families knew each other because they were out there in the country. They knew each other and everything. And so uh, she was in Chicago, but uh, her sister, the one that my uncle went across the field to meet and he married her and had five kids by her. Mm -hmm. Uh, I asked her, I said, where's your sister? Well, she's in Chicago. I said, okay, well, next time you talk to her, tell her. I asked about her. Yes. And it was about two weeks or so later, she was in Mississippi. And so uh, I went and met, and we talked and stuff again, and it was like we just picked right up where we Mm -hmm. left off. And we've been together ever since. Ever so since. Th-
1: this is the person that I'm going to fulfill my vows with.
2: Yeah. And so uh, uh, we got married, and uh, Bowen ended up closing. and in, uh, Mississippi. in Mississippi, and they gave us opportunity to move to Wichita or Seattle. I really didn't want to, because I still had something in me. I actually moved her, and by now she had a daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and she was uh, 16 months old when we married, mm-hmm. and now she done had a daughter for me. Okay. And so we got two little girls. I packed them up, and I moved them back to Tallahassee because I still got Tallahassee in me. Oh, I still got okay. some other stuff still in me. So we go to Tallahassee, but now I see, and I remember what I said I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So instead of getting straight back out there in the drugs, I uh, started painting cars. I got a job and did all of this. But it just wasn't uh, satisfying, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so my mom, who took the job here in Wichita, she called me. She said, Buck, Bowen is really going strong. They are really hiring. Y'all need to come up here to Wichita. And so I said, okay, Mom. I mean, it took them at least a month or two of Persuading constantly calling you. and all okay. of that. So I said, okay, baby, let's put, we put everything in storage, we got in the car, and we drove to Wichita. I went here uh, three days, three or four days, and my uncle called from uh, Tallahassee and said, the lady from Boeing called, she wants you to call her, gave me a number. I sent my resume when I was in Tallahassee to Seattle. Oh. I'm trying to get to Seattle. Yeah.
1: Far north.
2: When I called the number, and I'm talking to her, she said, uh, Roosevelt, we really like your uh, resume. Very impressive. We really need someone like you at our facility. I said, okay, that's great. I've been uh, uh, looking forward, uh, for a chance to get to Seattle. <laughs> she said, no, uh, no sir, no, no. it's here in Wichita, Kansas. I said, in Wichita, Kansas? <laughs> she said, yes, uh, 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 we'll send you our, our airfare to fly you up for the interview and everything. I said, ma'am, I'm already in Wichita. I came up here to visit my mom. I'm in Wichita. She said, You are, but well, that's great. They had me to come in. We sat down and talked. They made me a job offer. They even offered to pay me per diem from Tallahassee. They went there. Unc um, got all my stuff out of storage I brought oh, wow. and brought it down here. And uh after going through their little uh The good old days uh, other stuff, you <laughs> yeah. know, other stuff they and I told them I was on probation, I told them my charges and all mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And they still hired me.
1: You know what's so attractive about you, and even just through this interview, is just how transparent you are, and and even you telling Boeing, listen, I I have this going on. This is my history. Yeah.
2: Because, you know, at that time, on, on applications, they always ask you, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I tell the guys I mentor and told the other guys uh, and anybody that I meet that has a record and trying to reinvent themselves. I actually teach a class out at Hutchinson Hutchinson Correction with uh, Mentoring for Success on Communication and how they are to re-communicate themselves, how they are to resell themselves. And the main thing I tell them is that you cannot uh, uh, be ashamed of where you come from, especially if you've come through a program now that you're reinventing yourself and that you say you have changed and you want to uh, make a positive impact on a community, then you have to be real about where you come from. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, I've always done that and it has not stopped me from any job. Uh, uh, Once I decided, and I mean, it took a minute, even after being here in Wichita, it took a minute for me to really decide that I needed some help greater than myself or alcohol or drugs. And that came one morning Uh-oh. Uh, back in 1991, 92, something like that. When my wife was working as a CMA at a nursing home and I was working out at uh, Boeing, uh, the kids were singing in the choir. They okay. were going to church at Antioch every yeah. Sunday.
1: Yeah,
2: I wasn't going. I'm smoking weed. I'm drinking alcohol. I was ready that Sunday to watch football. But I'm you just working? Relaxed. You doing the I'm deal? Work, I'm yeah. working hard. I'm bringing. I'm doing all I was doing, but I was still doing what I was doing too. Wasn't selling. I was just consuming. Mm-hmm. And they, when uh, their mama got called to work that morning, they were so upset because they were singing that morning. They been rehearsing and <laughs> practice. And they came and said, Daddy, can you take us to church? Oh, no. Now, remember my background. Yeah. I have always had suits. I've always mm-hmm. liked to dress. Mm-hmm. I've always, I will a- in gym in high school, and, and they laughed. <laughs> I, I didn't have gym shoes. Now, uh, I had Converse, you know, the yeah, All-Stars. Yeah, yeah, But most of the time, I'm wearing mm-hmm. Stacey Adams.
1: Mm-mm.
2: Even in gym, the the,
1: the ones that come up, the, 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 the shiny, the yeah. shiny Stacy yeah. Adams
2: shoes, and with the hair, for the most times some girl is braiding my hair or doing whatever. But they asked me, and again, you know, I, I, I had mm-hmm. suits in the closet. I always had suits mm-hmm. and for especially those Mother Day, Christmas, and yes, Easter that yes. I go to you church see with. Me. Right? Yeah. Now. So I said okay. So I put on a suit and I take them to church, and I heard. Pastor T.J. Thomas sing the song, I Know I've Been Changed. Oh, man. And it just sit on me because when I got out of the Navy and went back to Mississippi and started working at Boeing in Mississippi and before my wife, got, me and her got married, I went to church with my mom and, and grandma and everybody. My granddaddy was a deacon. My grandma was a mother on the mother's board. My mm-hmm. auntie sang in the choir and all this stuff. And I sat there, and when the preacher got through preaching, I don't know what came over me, but I just could not stop crying.
1: Mm.
2: And my mother and aunties and all of them came to try to console me. And I think we sat there for 30 some minutes after church, and I just couldn't stop crying. I don't know what it was. What were you crying
1: about? I have no
2: idea. And I can't remember what the sermon was, but something got me. And just like when TJ Thomas, Pastor Thomas, sang that song, I Know I've Been Changed, it just something uh, stirred up something in me. So, whereas the next Sunday, I woke up everybody in the house, and we all got dressed, and we went to church again. And he sang that song again, mm-hmm. and he preached. Now, I can't tell you what he preached about, but that song about uh, "I know I've been changed, and the angels in heaven have signed, signed my, my name,", name. Yeah. and that uh, I uh, I know I've been redeemed. And if you don't believe I've been redeemed, follow me down the Jordan stream. Mm-hmm. And I mean, every word that he sang, it just stuck with me. So when he opened the doors of the church this time, I took his hand
1: mm-hmm. and I
2: joined the church.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The next week I was an usher and I was standing on the okay. door.
1: Okay, here we go again. This gradual progression. I was a usher.
2: I was an usher. And then two years later, I was ordained a deacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a year later... Things happened between the church and Pastor Thomas. He left, went to Ohio. I left Antioch, took my family. We went to uh, Tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And the first time we went to Tabernacle, and I heard Pastor Montgomery preach and the things that he said when they opened the doors of the church, I told my family, y'all, come on, and we joined we the church. Yeah. The next week I had a appointment with him, and I told him that... I was ordained deacon at Antioch, but I feel God wants me to do something more. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I feel he's called me to preach. And so, uh, and the funny thing about it is, and not really funny, but I accepted my call to preach in September of 2011. 2011. And Mm -hmm. it was the Sunday after, no, the Sunday before 9-11.
1: Oh wow before okay.
2: the thing happened and I did my first sermon November the 11th
1: mm.
2: of that same year. My mom came up my mom's birthday was is November the 10th and I told mom that uh, this was her birthday present this is your birthday present <laughs> I did all the prayers from her and my grandmother and
1: if anybody could have um, witnessed that song, I know I've been changed. Was it mom that day that said this is not my son
2: And she still do and uh, a lot of my family still do because they know uh, what I was what I what I went through. They they knew everything that I've done mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. I was I was I was that young guy on the corner but I was I was hanging with grown men and grown women
1: mm-hmm. twice
2: my age mm-hmm. and all of that. I've seen a whole lot. I've seen uh, men come in that were good, honorable, church-going guys but go back there gambling. They done just got their paycheck and lose their whole paycheck. And they come sit on the, uh, the counter, and they, uh, you know, I'll I give them a beer or buy them a beer at the counter, and when my dad will come out, uh, he would have to loan them money so they can mm. make their uh, mortgage or rent payment mm-hmm. or pay a bill or so or so they won't go home broke.
1: Were you seeing that week in and week out and just that life?
2: And so again, uh, now I'm preaching, uh, now I'm learning more about the Lord. Pastor Thomas taught me what was the difference between religion and relationship. Mm-hmm. And so when I took his hand, I remember him saying that in the sermon, when I took his hand, I told him, I want to I wanna learn more about having a relationship with Jesus and not a religion. Religion. Yeah.
1: yeah. You said so much I'm sorry. right now. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, do not mm. be sorry. Like, mm. it's like, where do I um, punctuate? There's so many things I've written down as you've been talking, but there was something about, you said uh, there, this thing was still in me. You said there there was this thing that keep like, like drawing me back but when you said that you heard that song, I Know I've Been Changed, it's almost like, you tell me if this is so or not, did it get broken? I mean, mm-hmm. did, was it just broken open or just?
2: I think what it was, it, it, I think it went back to my vow that I made about being a father and being a husband. Mm-hmm. And now I got three kids and I got a son who's named after me. and. My father's name is Roosevelt, and they called him Big Buck. That's where the buck comes okay. from. They called him Big Buck, and I was Lil Buck. Okay. And uh, But we had different middle names, and my mom never knew his middle name, so I wasn't a junior
1: right. on my
2: birth certificate. I did right. Roosevelt Carl DeShazer, and he was Roosevelt DeShazer. Mm-hmm. And so uh, now I got a son. I named him Roosevelt Carl DeShazer, Jr., and... Uh, I think back now to my vow of being that kind of a husband and father. And what I made a third vow.
1: Okay, a third one.
2: Is that my family, my wife and children Mm -hmm. at that time, my wife, children, and anybody else, especially my mother and anybody, but especially my wife and children, if they end up somewhere... And somebody mentions my name and ask about me or tell something about me. I don't want them to ever have to drop their head in shame. Mm -hmm. Because I was ashamed of my father and both of my stepfathers for being abusive, for being alcoholics, gamblers, whoremongers, the Mm -hmm. whole nine yards. I was ashamed of them. And I didn't want them to be ashamed of me. And so I made a vow when I took Pastor Thomas's hand, when I accepted my call to preach, that I'm going to tell the story. My kids know everything that I've I've never held any. When we go to Miami, we go to Mississippi, I take them to the streets I ran. I take them all. They know my story. So they can story. see it. This they the know vision. my story. They know it. I got pictures of me. But they don't
1: know that dad.
2: All they know is that me and their mother, Every day of their lives, we went to work, and we provided. We didn't have a lot. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the best of clothes or name-brand clothes, but they had a good life. They had clothes. They had toys. We had food. We kept a roof over our house. You know we moved about 17 times here in Wichita <laughs> before we actually bought a house. Yes. But uh, uh, 17 was the magic number. That was it. That was it. Uh, uh, and... That was my commitment. That was my, and now even to my grandkids, it's my commitment to live a life that they don't have to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. And one thing, one slogan that Dr. Martin Luther King said that I hold true as well, and, and I hold too, brother, is that I just want to do God's will. Mm-hmm. And when it's all said and done, whoever has to stand above my body will say that I did the best I could to try to help somebody to try to lead somebody to Christ and try to show them that Christ is the way.
1: I love that you said that. I'm intrigued by your story and this last vow, just want to do God's will. And we're here today because we've been talking about the seven mountains and the mm-hmm. mountains you're you're hanging out on. Mm-hmm. And been called to is that one of religion, which is really a relationship with God mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and spirituality. Um, what did that look like to to, to honor that vow to mm-hmm. just do what do God's will when you see the whole thing shaking?
2: It it uh, reminds me that though I may be on the mountaintop now. Mm -hmm. Per se, if Mm -hmm. you will, Mm -hmm. the trip up was not an easy trip, okay, and that's what I try to relay to others in my counseling now to couples, to Mm -hmm. uh, individuals, uh, to those that are in prison, and to others is that the trip up is not an easy trip, there's going to be some stumbling, Mm -hmm. there's going to be, may even have to fall and restart because. In reality, I have restarted, if you will, three, three or four times. Mm. I started off as a gangster. I end up going to uh, the Navy and became an aircraft mechanic. I went from being an engine mechanic to an overhaul mechanic to a sheet metal mechanic to a, a, a instrumentation uh, uh, technician, and then to a entrepreneur running a uh, Game, uh, a work program, (laughs) and a cook Mm -hmm. uh, at a restaurant, and now uh, pastoring a church. And each one of those phases had some good days, some bad days, some hard days, some dark days, but they had some sunshiny days. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite songs is that uh, you know, even though I've had some good days, I've had some bad, I still won't complain. complain. I will not because I know now. After all those, I mean, I've been in about three real gunfights. One, I was running behind a guy and he was maybe, maybe 10 feet or so ahead of me. And I'm pulling the trigger trying to shoot him in the back, in the back of his head. Mm. And the gun didn't fire. Mm. I'm just pulling the trigger and it would not fire. To the point that when I stopped and the guy that gave me the gun, I. Cussed him out, if you will. Mm-hmm. At, Why you give me an empty gun? gun? yeah. He said, man, the gun ain't empty. And I said, look. And he got the gun and he shot. He shot.
1: What, what did that say to you?
2: As I look back now, that as well as the incident with my stepfather, if I would have shot that young man in the head, I would have been in jail. Mm-hmm. If I would have shot and killed my stepfather, my brother, I have one brother, he would hate me now,
1: because mm-hmm. I would have killed his daddy. Mm-hmm.
2: And I would have been probably in jail.
1: And you wouldn't have been honoring your, va- your vows. That, any of that. Any, any of that, that. That husband, the father.
2: And so yeah. I look at all of that, again, at every stumble, every step up that mountain. I look at it as a learning experience. And again, not just being my story, but being his, his story. story. Yeah. God brought me through all of that for a reason. He the one. I never even. I have. I didn't even start reading the Bible until I got to Antioch.
1: Mm. I'm a
2: grown man. Yeah. The only uh, you uh, have to
1: start somewhere, somewhere though, Pastor Beck.
2: But, but and, and you know being grown, you know, growing up there because the church that I was baptized at, my great grandfather started it. Okay. okay. And I mean. Uh, are we there in Sunday school every morning? And but you know we playing and stuff. But I don't remember none of that. Mm-hmm. The only real scripture that I remember is that of uh, Psalm twenty three: "The Lord is my shepherd." And it wasn't until then that I actually learned the uh, the the full uh, scripture, if you will. Mm-hmm. I just remember the Lord is my shepherd. shepherd. I shall not I want. want. That's it. You know. <laughs> but uh, uh, again, uh, every step of my journey, uh, I know God has been with me and through the prayers of those that love me and wanted a better uh, life for me, the life that God wanted for me. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's what drives me now, Uh, my family, and even the people that God has put me over to shepherd now, to under-shepherd now, and those that he put me in contact with, uh, the people that a lot of people don't want to talk to, Mm -hmm. a lot of people uh, that uh, people want to give up on. And I guess I relate to them and I connect to them because I was one of them.
1: And no one gave up on you. Well, though there were women who cared about you that prayed but, for you.
2: But not only that, but, you know, I told you about some men that were family men, church-going men, but yes. was, would come up there to the cafe. Mm-hmm. They helped me with my homework. Uh, one of them got me on a baseball team and taught me how to play baseball, and I played baseball for a while. They made sure, even though they were up there, and even some of the. Hardcore gangsters and pimps and gamblers—they taught me uh, uh, about the streets. They taught me about about the world, but they also—they—they—they they, they, they made sure I went to school. Mm-hmm. And if I'm I'm there at the at the uh, club uh, behind the counter, but I got my books out there doing homework. And if there's something going on, uh, and uh, one of called, you know, every gangster wasn't a dropout.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of them had a high school diploma and a lot of them even went to college, college. you mm-hmm. know. And so they will help me with my homework and everything like that, too. Uh, too. And uh, uh, those men, uh, I, I I owe all of them something because they saw something in me. Mm-hmm. Just like my uh, uh, grandparents had prayed for me and all these other men and women. There was some women around there, too, that saw something in me. And they, they just they, they poured their life in me. And even some of them right now today. They follow me on Facebook and the <laughs> sermons from the church and all that, and they comment. And, that's good. Uh, and, that's and, good. And, and, and again, they they, some of them. I knew God has something else for you.
1: Well, that's interesting because I hear your call, and you said, "Well, I think I'm called to do more. I think mm-hmm. I'm called to preach." Preaching. Mm-hmm. Whenever somebody signs you up to do that on this Sunday or whatever is one thing, mm-hmm. but pastoring it's is another thing. And I love what you said, a shepherd. And so over the, over the last 18 plus months, life has been real interesting yes. in the world. And so when people are listening to this right now, we're still in the midst of what we call a pandemic. Yes. And um, you talk, talk to me a little bit about that transition from I'm called to preach to, I'm um, called to shepherd, and what has that been like in, over the last year or so?
2: Well, I took my seminary training, if you will, from Dr. Don Davis Don at Davis, the uh, yeah. World Impact mm-hmm. through the Urban uh, uh, Urban
1: Institute
2: Ministry yeah. Institute. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And one of his classes was on uh, pastoral theology. To me, I don't want to invite like, you. Yeah, to me, to right, me, yeah. mm-hmm, the Urban Ministry Institute. Mm-hmm. but uh, Dr. Davis says something uh, about pastoring and what it means to pastor. And it means to nurture, to provide, and to protect. And I've always held that uh, uh, in view, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so back in February of 2020, I was really sick. Uh, vertigo set in really bad. Mm. Every time I preach before I can make it to my office good. I, mean, I had to finish and I had to go to my office and I'm either throwing up in my office or I'm pulling over on the side of the road on the way home and throwing the up.
1: the world is spinning around.
2: Everything is spinning. My stomach is upside down. Uh, uh, mm. uh, everything. And so I started my sabbatical the first part of uh, March uh, to uh, go to the doctor to try to figure out what's going on, to try to get better. And then mm-hmm. this pandemic hit.
1: And that was of 2020? March of 2020,
2: and At okay. the same time. So while instead of being, because uh, the church, what, uh, I mean, I was going to take six weeks off. And uh, I've had a couple of doctor's appointments and stuff. But then this hit, and I'm like, okay, I can't sit at home. Mm-hmm. So, what I did in the midst of going to the doctors and everything, and telling all my people, Y'all go home. Uh, we're not closing the church, but I want everybody to be safe. You'll go home. We're going to broadcast our sermons live on Facebook and YouTube.
1: From Progressive, from progressive. Missionary Baptist Church. So,
2: yeah. I come from the house and I go to the church. I have my media team up there and my minister of music. And we do a song or so and i preach a sermon Mm -hmm. i'm still sick
1: you're still sick the world still the world your world is still spinning around
2: but i preach a sermon then i'm doing bible study from my house uh, but i'm doing it live on facebook and youtube as well Mm -hmm. and that's what we did for the rest of 2020 yeah because I wanted the people to know. And I ended up, uh, I think the last quarter of the year, I preached a series called, Who is God? Hmm. Because what I felt in my spirit, and what the spirit laid in my spirit, if you will, Mm -hmm. is that God was relaying to his people, especially his church, who he is. Because in reality, and I still feel it today, the world, as even the church for the most part, have forgotten, forgotten. who God is. Mm-hmm. And we got so focused on mega and money and material that we misplaced or we moved God out of place. Mm-hmm. And so I did that series about who God is. And then the first of this year, our theme for this year is a revelation revival. I feel that God is revealing to his church again, his identity and the identity of the church, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: who we are supposed to be. And when I say the church, I'll be real clear. Okay. I'm not talking about the building The building I'm talking about the Ecclesia of God, mm-hmm. the living breathing church of God. that's each and every one, one of, of us, us. Yeah. that believes in His Son mm-hmm. and believe that He is the one and only true and living God. Mm-hmm. God wants us in this season, right now, as dark as it is, He wants us to be the church that He has called us to be. He wants us to let the world know that there is a reality in serving him. Now, people ask me, they say, well, Pastor, do you think God has sent this plague? God has sent this pandemic? Good question. That God is uh, killing all of these people? And I have to take them back to the beginning mm-hmm. when Adam and Eve, okay. God gave them a specific instruction. Mm-hmm. They turned from God and Eve got the fruit. They ate the it. fruit. Mm-hmm. They sinned. They brought sin in the world. God is not the author of confusion or of sin, not the author of tragedy and uh, uh, turmoil, but he is a God of test. He is a God of uh, that allows trials and tribulations to come our way. Mm-hmm. God allows things to happen to get our attention.
1: attention i wish I wish people were sitting here right now because mm-hmm. um, even though you keep talking and sharing. And giving of your time, there's something that happened when I started asking you about moving from preaching to pastoring that you just all of a sudden came alive. And I usually I'm the one that said, don't get me to start preaching. And I just saw the preacher eyes come come open and you just sharing with us. And I can hear your pastor's heart. Not everybody that's a pastor has a pastor's heart. And I love what you talked about um, from Dr. Don Davis about to nurture, to provide, and to protect. How how was that was that difficult during the last year and a half to nurture, provide, and protect? Even when you said we're still, I'm still going to preach to you. We're still going to sing. We're not closing. Um, what, what was that experience like for you to keep going?
2: See, you know, again, I believe everything God has brought me through is for this season and this time. I pastored a church down in Independence, Kansas for about two years, St. John's Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Then I came back to Wichita and um, was associate pastor at Tabernacle over congregational care. Okay. And Tabernacle with a membership of almost 2,000. It kept me busy. I'm in hospitals all the time, nursing homes, doing funerals. And it even goes back to my time in the Navy, my time uh, uh, on the corner in the streets and and everything in the world. I've always been that person to connect with people. Mm -hmm. I love people. I love serving people. Again, I was cooking uh, at our uh, restaurant, pork chops and fish oh, and hamburgers no. and all that stuff. I still cook at the restaurant down there, I fish and I barbecue. What's the name of your restaurant? It was uh, City Life Cafe. Oh, right okay. Now. It was yeah. down there. It's no longer there, but okay. uh, I love to cook. I've always uh, loved to cook, and uh, but I've always loved taking care and serving people when I did the Congregational Care Ministry Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. about three years over at Tabernacle, and to go into people's houses and to hear their story and to see their suffering and their anguish and to see how much they lit up Mm -hmm. when I came in the room for visitation or to bring them communion or even the family members at their loved one's service and then when God elevated me, uh, if you will, from being an associate pastor, I was already a pastor once, then an associate. Mm-hmm. Now he gives me a church because my prayer was, well, Lord, you know, this Independence Drive is wearing me out. I'm, do- <laughs> I'm doing that and the cafe at the same time, was yes. just wearing me out. But well, now he gives me a church, the Progressive Missionary Baptist Church, who have a rich history in this town. Mm-hmm. A lot of pastors has come out of that church. Pastor J.P. Dennis from St. James right. came out of Progressive. A lot of pastors have come out of Progressive. A lot of singing groups have come out. It mm-hmm. has a very rich history. And, but then I knew they had gone through two splits in seven years before I got there.
1: No, the church doesn't split. Yeah, it did. So even even shaking happens without a pandemic,
2: right? One pastor that had been there for 20 years, when he left, he took members with him. Another pastor came in couple of years later, he stayed there about uh, two years or so. When he left, he took some with him. And so one of my first sermons, I preached at Progressive. I talked about the remnant. Mm. I talked about what God had left behind and how God was going to use them. Now, six and a half years later, we just celebrated my six-year anniversary. And
1: Congratulations. Thank
2: you. And they are saying now that they understand. Uh, What I was talking about even back then about the remnant. Mm -hmm. Because now we are a totally different church. We are growing. We are doing things in the community. What I believe that constantly motivates me is to take care of people. I've heard, I've seen so, I've seen a woman get her breast cut off Mm -hmm. with a box cutter. I've seen, I've held a man that had his legs shot off. I have sat across the booth with a man that came, another guy came in and shot him in the chest with a .357 Magnum, a little hole here, but almost all of his back just mm-hmm. tore out of him mm-hmm. and all this. I mean, I, I've seen a lot. I've mm-hmm. been in a room with Cubans and Haitians in a dark room that one word said wrong, and we would all been dead in mm-hmm. there. Uh, Again, I've been in some automobile accidents. I was driving back to uh, Jacksonville and I'm driving late at night trying to make it back to the base on time and went to sleep on the road and just spinned around in the middle of the road, ended up on the side of the road. Thank God there was no more cars on the road. Mm -hmm. It would have been totally different. God has brought me through so much with so many people. And I've had so much death in my life, heartfelt death uh, from even my father and my second stepfather and grandparents and others. uh, And I've seen grief. I've experienced grief and uh, heartache, pain, my mother, all of that. And so my heart aches for the people of God. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I don't just talk about those that are in church.
1: Right, because God right. made
2: all. all God cares not that even one should perish. Right. So who am I as a pastor to say, you don't go to my church or you don't believe in God, so I don't care about you? Mm-hmm. That I'm not I'm not fulfilling the call that God put on my life, because He said, if you love me, then feed my sheep, and right. we're all God's sheep. We Even know. those ones that have strayed away mm-hmm. are still God's sheep. Because he'll go, he'll leave the 99. And go find the one. Yeah. And so that's what it is, go find the one. Mm-hmm. And so if I can convince one convict, one uh, a gang member, one uh, 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 prostitute, if I can convince one of them to turn their life, if my life story mm-hmm. can impact them in any kind mm-hmm. of way, to cause them to move from darkness to God's light, then I believe I'm doing what God called me to do. And I have promised him I'm going to do it until Mm -hmm. he calls me home. In my sick bed, when I don't feel like it, in season and out of season, I'm going to do it. I preach in the pulpit at Progressive. I preach here at this uh, podcast (laughs) at HopeNet. I preach at Quick Trip. And and again, you know, preaching ain't always, uh, and and, and I tell people, Uh, Especially now, and one of my favorite sayings uh, now that from uh, Kirk Franklin's song, A Strong God, Mm -hmm. he said, be the gospel. Don't just read the gospel, be the the gospel. People need to see Mm -hmm. God. And there's a song, and uh, it's an older song, it's called Live in Me, Jesus. Mm. He said, I want to be your hands. I want to be your mouth i want to be your heart i want to be live in me jesus because mm-hmm. i just might be the only jesus this world may ever see, see yeah. and so that's my passion that's my uh that's what drives me again my kids my grandkids i want them to know it ain't nothing wrong with believing in christ mm-hmm. my my grandkids i got my oldest grandson uh and and, and this is what lets me know and, and you know god conscience confirmation my oldest grandson, when he was three years old, mm-hmm. he called me from North Carolina and asked me. He said, uh, "Papa, why do God? Why did God make people?" Ooh, he
1: that's three a good years question. Old.
2: Yeah, three years old. I said, "Son, He made people so that they can uh, uh, honor Him. He made people because He want people to love one another, and He want them to love Him." Him, yeah. He came old uh, later during this pandemic. He was six years old last year, and He's very aware of the pandemic and all this with the masks Mm -hmm. and the virus and going on. He said out of his mouth, he said, God let the pandemic come so that people can learn to love one another more and love him. So this goes all the way back to what I told him when he was three years old. Now he's six years old with no prodding or no nothing out of his own mouth and word and his own mind. Mm -hmm. He said, God has allowed this pandemic to come so that people can learn to love one another and love him. Because now, see, with this, the life that we used to live, we're not living it. anymore. We're not
1: living that anymore.
2: Especially when it first happened, when you couldn't even go to the grocery store like you used to, and you Mm -hmm. couldn't buy the things you were accustomed to buying. You couldn't go on vacation. You couldn't go here and there. Uh, uh, Forever changed. Forever changed. And so we ended up finding out, because we had to spend more time at home with family and other stuff. we ended up, just like my little grandson said, to learn to love Love one one another another. and love him.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. That that's like exclamation out of the mouth of babes. Out of, the, out of the mouth of babes. How you know you know we are all about people's mental health, yes. and so God is a great. He is the answer. Yes, he is. Yes. And when people are facing this whole time right now, of things are never going to be the same. We've never been this way before. What do you offer? do you offer any more than what you've already said to the people listening um, with their emotional health, their mental health, keeping it together or getting help or what would you like to say to us, Pastor Buck, about that?
2: I just preached this past Sunday uh, a sermon called Keep It 100. And uh, we used uh, a scripture out of Acts chapter 17, whereas uh, it is uh, said that uh, Jesus is a reason that we live, we move, and have our being. being. yes. And I am a firm believer after going through all that I've gone through. And I mean, I know there have been times that I've been so high. I've tried every drug out there, heroin, uh Primos, crack, uh, speedballs, acid uh, pills. I've tried it You're all. You're not
1: supposed you know. to be here. You know that. I,
2: I've tried it all. I've, yeah. tri- I've tried it all. Mm-hmm. And I even uh, have gone to the point where uh, uh, I've seen a psychiatrist because I felt like I was uh, losing it, if mm-hmm. you will, losing grip of, of uh, uh, reality. All, or all of that, mm-hmm. yes. And so, what I try to tell people now. I know it looks dark, and I know it's, life is hard, and life is different. But the one constant that we have mm-hmm. is God. He never changes. Mm-hmm. He's the same God that created us in the beginning, mm-hmm. the same God that's going to be there at the end. Mm-hmm. In Revelation, he said that he will be our God, and we will be his, his people, people, and we're going to be with him. He has promised, even in the middle, that he will never leave us or forsake us. Mm-hmm. We have to remember. See, I believe that if we remember and learn and take to heart the word of God Mm -hmm. and God for who he is, then we'll be all right. We'll be better. We'll be able to go through the darkest of times, the most tragic of times. We'll be able... Because God wants to use just like I tell you, my story is his story. Yes. He yes. wants to use every part of our lives to draw somebody else. See, to he didn't himself, save us, yeah. He didn't save us for ourselves. Mm-hmm. I told him this past Sunday. When you repent, it's not doing a three eighty, it's doing a it's it, <laughs> it's doing a one sixty. You gotta turn from God. I mean doing a one eighty. You gotta turn from yeah. God, I mean turn from the sin and turn to God. Mm-hmm. And when you turn to God, God is right there. He is right there. And I tell you, uh, that's why I love the psalmist that that says that uh, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praises shall continually be Be in my my mouth, mouth, that my soul shall make his boast in the Lord. And the humbled, and this is where it is, the humbled shall hear thereof and get glad. God, to me, is allowing all of this to happen. To humble us. To
1: humble us. Because
2: we have gotten so materialistic. We have gotten so proud. We're teaching right now in the book of Jeremiah. And I just finished doing chapter one.
1: Oh, Jeremiah.
2: (laughs) And uh, uh, this week, Gerald Norwood is going to uh, pick up chapter two. But God is going to lay out why he called Jeremiah and why he was about to Do what he was going to do to the people of Egypt and uh, Judah and all of them because they turned from him. Mm -hmm. They prayed to him. They asked him. He delivered. He provided. And then they made idols. Mm -hmm. And they started worshiping the land over their Mm -hmm. God.
1: But that's not new.
2: We can point that out today. That's what I'm saying. That's what they did. And Mm -hmm. that's what we have done. Mm -hmm. We are worshiping our houses, our four ones, our cars, our job titles, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Even our family names. Mm-hmm. You have people around here because my family is so big, and I got a big family. Me too. Uh, I mean, my, Me too. My, my my grandparents had thirteen kids. My granddaddy, uh, uh, my great granddaddy and them had sixteen, and that's just on my granddaddy's side. Mm-hmm. Grandmama had a lot. The Shazes be all that. But people say, "Well, my name is so and so, and so that makes me something." No, mm-hmm. there's but one name mm-hmm. that has been given by which men, women, boys, and girls okay. shall be saved, and that name is Jesus Christ.
1: You guys, he has the look again. There, I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the, the preacher look I'm is sorry. out.
2: I'm sorry. <laughs> but I love also, it. that same name, God has given him a name that uh, and elevated him to a place that, at the mentioning of that name, one day. Really and do. I believe that day is now, and it and uh, it's going to even be more so here coming soon, that every knee is going to bow wow. and every, every tongue, tongue shall confess, confess
1: that He is Lord. That's
2: it, to the glory of the Father.
1: Yeah. Thanks for being vulnerable about even saying, even in the midst of loving God, Him loving me, that sometimes I had to get some help. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I had to oh, go yeah. talk to some people. Oh
2: yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because yeah. you know this thing about mental illness, and 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 this is what has always. Draw me to HopeNet. Uh, you know, I learned about it, I'd say, about eight, nine years ago or so, maybe a little bit longer. But yeah. uh, uh, And now that I'm on the board, I'm learning more about it. And uh, uh, it's needed because in our culture, and I'm talking about the black culture, mm-hmm. a lot of times we don't recognize mental illness. We'll call it something else, and we'll be embarrassed or ashamed to say we need help right. for it. Even if it's a parent or somebody see something with their child or cousin or whoever, mm-hmm. they still they say, "Look, you know, he just got problems. He'll be all right. He just needs to sit down somewhere and be quiet for a minute. This, that, another." And it's just like us not providing a educational fund or uh, us providing uh, uh, a inheritance for our children, children. and grandchildren. Mm-hmm we we are reluctant for some obvious reasons because of how we have been treated in the past and because of what had been kept from us or made available to us mm-hmm. uh, as a people, uh, you know, years ago you right. know, and all right. that. So a lot of time now, we want to uh, put on the facade, if you will, or put on the... Uh, uh, camouflage that we can handle our own business mm-hmm. and we don't need nobody's help.
1: But some of that, what for, and I'll talk about even just my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm a boomer. So, okay, okay. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I just remember the day when there would never, if anybody's gonna know anything, it's gonna be the pastor. Mm, th-
2: that's, you know? There you go. And, mm-hmm. and
1: if anything goes on in this house, it stays in this house. That's right, that's right. And it. so then mm-hmm. the pastor was to be the jack of all trades. And it's what he found out, especially when you get straight to yeah. as the master mm-hmm. of none. That's it. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so then you keep it in this small community and people can't get help. So you are not to go tell anybody else. You're not to go get any relief. Yeah. And so I think some people have been set free um, by saying, I, I'm just going to go tell somebody that can't tell anybody else. that can keep it confidential. Tell me I'm not crazy or whatever.
2: Or give me the help that I need. Yeah. And see... I believe, too, because, uh, again, there, there's evidence also that for a long time, we treated mental illness with medications, mm-hmm. ADHD and all that. We give kids these pills, whereas a lot of time now I'm not saying uh, all of that was unnecessary. Maybe in some Correct. cases they, they are necessary. Yes. But a lot of times what, what I have found is a lot of people just want to be heard. Mm. A lot of people want to be accepted. A lot of people want to be acknowledged. Martin Luther King said in his uh, sermon, The Drum Major Instinct, that from the time we were born, we were, all, we were seeking then and we will always seek uh, attention, affirmation, and acknowledgement. Mm. From the time the doctor slapped us on the butt. <laughs> I know they don't do that no more. But from, the, from our first cry is a cry out for attention. Here mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. I need you to come see I've about arrived. me. i, I arrived. Yeah. I'm here. I, I, I need to be fed. I need to be clothed. I need to be uh, hugged. Care and cooked. of. Yes. I, I need all. And it doesn't go away. Mm. I see, uh-oh, uh-oh. Did you hear uh-oh. what you just said? It and does it not. go away. Because, see, a lot of people will be quick to say in the church, well, uh, 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 you don't need to acknowledge me or uh, my name or need to be on the program. But deep inside, mm-hmm. they want to be. We all want to be acknowledged mm-hmm. we all want to be affirmed that i exist that's right mm-hmm. we all want to be uh, appreciated mm-hmm. and to do that then we have to be real you have to let people know look i'm feeling hurt mm-hmm. i'm feeling alone i'm feeling like my life doesn't matter you have to do it to somebody now the beauty of my role is that i can give them scripture i can tell them my testimony But if it's been a professional psychiatrist, now I have some place I can send them. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I can say, look, you know what? We've been talking good, and I don't care if it's been six, seven, eight different uh, uh, meetings. (laughs) I say, but I believe you need more than what I can provide. Mm -hmm. And I'm man enough. And you
1: say that as the pastor. I am man
2: enough, and I am God enough to say that I can completely help you or give you the help you need. Mm-hmm. but now I have a place that I can refer you to. Okay. You know what I mean? Yes. Because, see, the, what happens in a lot of cases, pastors try to take on too much mm-hmm. above. See, again, I believe God has granted us all these different resources. we got to use them. Mm-hmm. Psychiatrists, doctors, doctors. Uh, uh, All of that, we have to use what God has given us. Every tool to our arsenal, and I believe what makes a good pastor. I've learned this from Pastor Montgomery. I learned it from Dr. Don Davis that the tools that God has given you, use them. Use them. Use them. Wow. Yeah.
1: You took us there. (laughs) You, 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 what did you say? Like a lot of times after preaching is done, they said he landed the plane.
2: Mm That's it. That's it I, that's I think it. that's a
1: good place for us to land on. Okay, God and bless you. wow, I forgot we were doing the podcast, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good uh, thing. Yes, that just yes, hearing your story and just the wisdom that you provided today is my, my hope and my prayer that our audience has been encouraged amen, and amen. even maybe challenged just to take a step back maybe to get somewhere and be still and listen and
2: listen, and listen listen, and listen, to, it, listen. because listen.
1: there is a god that loves all of us mm. and um we're here we were hoping it and we're here for you mm. but we just hope that this today even expanded our reach amen. in a different amen. way because mm. sometimes it's not it's not a sermon with somebody up in the pulpit maybe it's a, yes, it. it's a word from someone it's it. a word from someone and so it. i believe that you gave us a word today amen. and amen. so i just really appreciate you coming appreciate Dr. pastor buck i'm getting ready to call you dr buck Yeah, okay no, 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 no. <laughs> maybe that's prophetic no. i don't know
2: <laughs> and so
1: we just want to thank our audience um, for being with us today and this is jolyn bright here in the house at studio 2501 and thank you so much for listening amen
0: Thanks for listening to Studio 2501, conversations about mental health and wellness. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. Visit us online at hopenetwichita.org and on social media at hopenetwichita. Thank you again to Hoydale for sponsoring this show. You can find Studio 2501 wherever you get your podcasts.